Greetings, future lovers. This is Killstreak, episode 50. I am one of your hosts, Eric Goslin, a.k.a. Dick Gooley. Joining me here, as always... Oh, shit. What was your name? Uh, intersectional... Wait, yeah, Santa Claus. What about this? Okay. Mick Gooley. Mick Gooley? <laughs> like McLovin? <laughs> no, like Mick, uh, oh, like, like, like Mick Dundee, you know, oh. I'm Mike, but Mick, you know. <laughs> Should I start over and just say it without addressing it? No, no, I don't think so. Okay, here we go. Joining me here from Austin, Texas, Mr. Michael Price. How are you, sir? It's Mick Gooley. <laughs> oh, you're Mick Gooley. I'm Mick Gooley. You're oh, Dick Gooley. I apologize. I misunderstood. I thought you wanted me to change Dick Gooley to Mick Gooley. No. I thought we, we could be Dick and Mick. I love it. Oh, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. We're okay. Dick and Mick Gooley, the Gooley brothers. Yes. <laughs> That's what I'm talking Coming about. Coming at you live, pre-recorded. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. On, a, on a week when we, we're really going to be talking about family more than anything else. I yeah. Think. It's all right? about family, this, this episode. <laughs> uh, we're talking Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah, part two. Yeah. Or Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2? I don't know the official title. It uh, exists as both. Okay, um, great. Yeah, so you, you can't go wrong. Um, depends on what thing you're reading or looking at. Um, yeah, yeah. How are you? How are you this week? We're recording right after the Super Bowl wrapped up, which I did not watch. Yeah, I watched a little bit of. I'm not really a football, a football boy, but... You know, it's kind of comforting to have a, a, yeah. a sports game going on in the background. Yeah, uh, it was a boring ass game. The commercials were some of them. A couple of them made me laugh, but there's a there was one with Beavis and Butthead that I really enjoyed. Can't go wrong there. <laughs> yeah, uh, and the halftime show from the weekend I thought was pretty good. Everybody gave it shit on Twitter, but I don't know. I like the weekend. I guess. <laughs> I mean, I like the weekend more than most of the people who've done the halftime show in the last decade. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. and it was kind of visually interesting. Sure. Um, and yeah, it turns out I like a bunch of the weekend songs. Take it from an almost forty-year-old white man, <laughs> <laughs> firmly middle class. The weekend's pretty cool, you guys. The weekend's a cool dude. <laughs> My I enjoy dad, his hair. My dad texted on a text thread with, uh, if 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 there was a, if you needed any more sign that the weekend is over. Um, <laughs> my dad texted me and my brother and my uncle and said, "Now I know who the weekend is." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I imagine there's a lot of really confused boomers out there after that, and also after Phoebe Bridgers performing on SNL mm. and everybody fucking. Sure. Acting like it's the first time somebody <laughs> smashed a guitar on stage. Oh my god! I just I, I the hilarious. amount of restraint I've had to have of not responding to every one of these like where is what where's that rage coming from? <laughs> Smash a guitar in these times? <laughs> Fuck you, dude! This oh, drives me insane. Anyway, so oh, I get fired up about boy, oh my boy. princess Phoebe Bridgers. <laughs> Stay away from Eric's woman. Uh, so here we so, are. Yeah. We're going to talk about Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two. Yeah, Deuce. yeah. Should we just get into it? Uh, yeah, sure. I thought, and I still guess I I saw I've seen this before, but I will say that I don't remember almost any of it. Um, it's yeah. a tricky movie that way. I've seen this movie um probably I don't know four or five times. Mm -hmm. And I rewatched this movie this year. 
Okay. Well, I mean, not this year. In in 2020, mm-hmm. only a few months ago, and even then, there was stuff like, "Oh yeah, this happens," because uh, <laughs> it's a weird, it's a weird sort of disjointed movie. It, yeah. It's strange. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So theoretically, at some point in the late 90s, I saw this. Mm-hmm. Um, it has always been on my list of like, yes, I've seen that movie. But I remembered almost nothing. So this was pretty much as good as a fresh viewing for me. Yeah. Um, I'll say from my point of view as somebody who I, I think I saw this, uh, you know, shortly after watching the first movie. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't like it at all mm-hmm. in that viewing. Each subsequent viewing, I come into it very, very hopeful. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I leave that, that viewing a, a, with a little more appreciation for it. Okay. But I still can't fully commit to like wholeheartedly loving this movie, if that okay. makes sense. Yeah, I think it does. I... I had anticipated that we were going to be perhaps far apart on this movie, and it sounds like we might not be that far apart. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I was yeah. really curious about your reaction to it. This is the best. This is, I mean, and this is me like metagaming the whole thing, but here's kind of what I'm thinking about it right now. I feel like when this movie came out, as far as I can tell, people kind of hated it. Mm-hmm. Um, it did well enough in the box office that it got a sequel, but a lot of movies did in the 80s like i think it was generally regarded to be a pretty bad movie and then i feel like in more recent years especially in the horror community and the you know review world it's like swung back in the other direction and and i think people are starting to say like hey this is kind of an underappreciated movie and it's better than people give it credit for Mm -hmm. and having watched it more or less fresh uh from my perspective i feel like they probably it's probably better than they gave it credit for in the eighties. And it's not as good as current day horror fans are trying to convince everyone that it is. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you 100% there. It's, it's somewhere in the middle. Yeah. It's not a Halloween three. Like it doesn't. No, deserve... that's a, that's an actual great, like fun to watch. Like I think good movie. Now. Yeah. yeah. So like this movie hits a lot of the sweet spots for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it being like in the eighties, the soundtrack, not the score, the soundtrack right. is very good. Yeah. Um, stretch is a total smoke show. I tweeted about <laughs> it. I apologize, guys. I <laughs> I love me some stretch. Um, it looks pretty good. Like especially some of those like Christmas light mm-hmm. in like lamp lit scenes later in the movie mm-hmm. look pretty cool. But it's kind of a mess. And very loud and annoying. It is very annoying. I found many portions of the movie, a number of the performances to be downright obnoxious. Yes. Um, and not in a way that seemed designed to have any, you know, more profound effect. Just like, like, yeah. I'll come out and say right now, like, I, I, I was a big fan at one point in time of The Devil's Rejects. I it's harder and harder for me to watch as I get older because uh, it is pretty exploitative in a way that it's like I, I don't enjoy as much as I did when I was younger. Sure. Um, but that being said, like, I think Bill Mosley is pretty good in those movies. Like, I like him, uh, especially in that movie. He is really fucking annoying in this movie. He is. Uh, he is very like it, it's all the stuff 
with um Bill Mosley and Jim Sidow. Mm-hmm. Though, like, because they are in the first movie, um, you know, the father figure. They call him Cook in this one, right? But he's not. One. He's an older brother. Did you know that? Oh, like, really? I thought he was the father. No. The mythology of this is that he is he is the older brother to Chop Top, Leatherface, oh. and the Hitchhiker from the first movie. Well, that's um, news to me. Yeah. Um. So in the first movie, I think to very good effect, mm-hmm. everybody is shouting and kind of it's very chaotic. Right. And this one, it's just like, man, shut the fuck up, you guys. <laughs> like, it's so yeah. annoying. The way I summed it up in my notes was I, I feel like this, especially in the latter half, but really the whole thing is it's like, if it wasn't for the gore and the adult themes, this feels mm. like a kid's movie. It looks <laughs> oh, wow. and moves yeah. like, like a kid's movie. Like it feels it's, like it's problem like child or the Goonies or yeah, yeah. It's like, it is so high pitched and like, so broad a lot of the time and it's i mean to me it's just like i read a bunch of reviews today that were like intense you know uh deep dives into the cutting satire of this movie and i was like no this movie has the same level of satire as like a not dumb children's film dude i'm with you there because i i did a little bit of reading today as well and like that thing really the the subject of it being a satire of like mm-hmm. exact excess right really jumped out at me because i'm like what is it satirizing can you yeah. can you summarize any of what you've read about what what is it that this movie is supposed to be satirizing yeah i'll 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 give you i'll do you one better and i'll give you a little excerpt um so there is, and I don't mean to call this person out because i do think that they're a very talented film critic um but I will say that I very, very frequently disagree with them. Okay. Uh, and is this uh, this writer named Walter Chaw, who uh, writes primarily for, and I think at this point basically is the de facto uh, head of the website Film Freak Central, which has been around for a pretty long time. And they're very interesting. They write... These crazy, frequently iconoclastic reviews, but they're all very intelligent and very thoughtfully researched. And I will say I love reading this guy's reviews because he makes me think about a lot of stuff that I would never consider otherwise. However, I also wildly disagree with like half of everything he says. Sure. yeah. Um, And I will say that when he writes about movies, he is one of the kings to me of this particular idiosyncrasy that you find with some critics which I think we talked about right when this podcast started, like right towards the very beginning, which is this idea of like the kind of academic inserting meaning where there is none, you know, and just like really cooking up depth where it doesn't totally exist. Um, So I will, I will read you. This is is, uh, just the opening line of this review. It's uh, it says, if the first film is about living with malevolent ghosts, the sins of the father made flesh and leather, if you will, then the second is a cunning piece about the Reagan 80s, the fantasia, the nostalgia, the delusions of grandeur, the inflationary monomania, and finally, the decay of actual values in a society believing itself to be the illusory city on the hill. Um, Oh, wow. So he goes on (laughs) to talk about how 
Uh, this is a highly sexualized film. Uh, mm-hmm. He compares it to American Psycho. Um, he uh, says the picture is smart enough to be a commentary on its time while its time is still unspooling. Uh, there's something bankrupt about the morality of this story told in this context. The rise of corporations in the decade skewered as the monster Sawyer clan launches a successful man meat chili business. Um, so basically the idea is that this is supposed to be an indictment of mass media, mass consumerism of sort of, you know, Reaganomics. And, and I'm just like, I don't know, maybe a little bit, but I, yeah, maybe like, in premise a little bit, right. But in execution, not at all. Mm-hmm. From, from my standpoint, like I, I agree. Yes, they are a successful franchise owner at this point, a business that is yeah, literally uh, expanded into an abandoned monument to Texas. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there's something there. Sure. But it's giving that this movie so much credit where I don't think it's absolutely. It's yeah, I think that what is happening is that from from this writer's perspective, it's kind of like everything that might have been somewhere in Toby Hooper's mind and the screenwriter, Kit Carson, who uh, his only other really big credit was before this, he wrote Paris, Texas. Yeah, that blew my fucking mind when I read that. Right, which is insane. <laughs> Just this incredibly arty film. Like, I love um, that movie. It's so it's so good in, in like... Wow, like to have your two writing credits be Paris, Texas, and Texas Chance on Massacre yeah. Part Two. Weird. Yeah, but um, yeah, I agree with you that it's just like we're like handing out, and I've done this on occasion. Like I talked, like this is a, a criticism. I think you could level at me a little bit, like when we were talking about Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven, where it's just mm. like, where do we draw the line between what ended up in the movie and like what the intention was? Right, 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 right. But this is like, I feel like taking that to the nth degree where it's just like, yeah. well, I think Toby Hooper might have been thinking a little bit about these themes when he made this movie. And you can feel like the ever so faintest dusting of these concepts. And it's like, yeah, they're not, they're not realized in the film. I, I think in a little, in, a little bit in their defense mm-hmm. <clears throat> into like in that camp of thought yeah i think that a filmmaker or an author can make something that may have some intention i mean i'm obviously mm-hmm. it has intention behind it and it has points that he wants to make yeah but i think a, a movie or a, a book or whatever can also tap into something mm-hmm. accidentally almost yeah. in like really exemplify something that is in the ether of that time period and bring totally. it to life in a way that, like, maybe they didn't even intend. I, think, I think that's, that's the that's, case with the first movie. Yes, exactly. I think that's the case with the first movie as well. Uh, but in this case, I think it's just, like, a lot of people. Because this, all right, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. this is kind of an enjoyable movie to watch. Mm-hmm. So, but compared to the first movie, it's a piece of dog shit. You know what I mean? like, <laughs> yeah. Like, they're two, the two things are not like the other. Right. And so having to do the mental gymnastics of, like, I like the first, I love the first movie. Mm-hmm. I like the second movie. Yeah. Like, I don't think we need to do these things. I think we can right. just, like, accept it on face value and be like, oh, this is, like, a fun movie, whereas the first movie is not fun at all, but is yeah. a technical masterpiece. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, I like I'm on the border of even being able to say that I had fun watching this. And that is mostly because I just found it to be so uneven. Yeah. uh, In its tone. I think that. And then I think about like we have this conversation sometimes where it's like, well, what are the expectations of a sequel? And I think this is something we'll touch on more uh, in our end segment today. But this idea of like, okay, well, what are the criteria to make a successful sequel? Like what what DNA does it need to share with the with the previous movie? Because, you know, you can have two movies that are like not you can have a movie that is a good movie, but it's it is is sort of not a good continuation of the first one right yeah well, that's a great way of putting it that i and, never really considered yeah and like this movie is i mean and i guess i think a lot of this is deliberate because you know we'll talk about this in a second but i don't think toby Hooper really wanted to make this <laughs> like that was my question in, in like your research that yeah you know, you, mike usually does all the like the production research and i'll do the recap of the stuff yeah and that was my question going into it was did toby hooper even have a a desire to make a sequel to the the first movie to put it to the to give you the shortest answer i can i think that his interest in making this film vacillated wildly over the course of a decade probably and uh initially no it was a contractual obligation right he signed a contract with canon films to make three movies and one of them had to be a sequel to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, okay. So the other two were Life Force and Invaders from Mars. Okay. Um, and but and he wasn't going to direct it. He didn't want to direct it initially. But the budget that was allotted for the director, basically, he felt like they couldn't get someone good enough to do it. Oh, interesting. So he almost sort of begrudgingly was like, "Fine, I will direct it." Um, and then at points he was excited about it, and I think he was excited to work with Kit Carson. Um, but it sounds like Canon really fucked with them. And then this is the other thing that I think blows some holes in all of these like really excited evaluations of like, Oh, all of the things that they were trying to do and they accomplished. It's like, I don't think he's happy with how this movie came out. Like, I mean, obviously Toby Hooper has passed away, but like he was not like, he, there, there seems like there were a lot of bad feelings coming out of the production of this that like Canon really derailed them. Canon has a history. If you guys don't know anything about Canon, I would recommend watching the uh, the documentary about them. I think we've maybe brought it up on the show before. Yeah, you've name checked uh, it once or twice, but tell people again because I think yeah, it's worth. It's yeah. called the. It's called called like Electric Boogaloo. The mm-hmm. wild. It's there's it's a, it's a long title, but um, it's like Electric Boogaloo: The Wild Story of Canon Films or something like that. Highly recommended. Canon has pumped out some of the most enjoyable, schlocky. Like, we cover only horror movies on this show, mm-hmm. but horror adjacent. Uh, Canon is like the kind of movies we love, but action movies. Yeah, and like, fantasy adjacent, I think. And yeah, kind of stuff. yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, they did like Hercules, um, but then like a bunch of Chuck Norris movies that mm-hmm. the. Uh, I, I, you know, it's a bad example, but the Death Wish mo- sequels. I recently watched uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme and Cyborg. That's oh, yeah, Cyborg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, canon movies are a fucking blast, but they are infamous for taking cuts away from directors mm-hmm. and just trimming them to 90 minutes. Yep. 
It's hilarious how many of their movies just end on a freeze frame right after <laughs> the big action set piece. Like the villain is killed, it's a shot of the hero, freeze yeah. frame credits. Like, yeah. yeah. So I wonder how much to- Toby Hooper mm-hmm. had final cut on this movie. Yeah, but uh, to to circle back around to where this conversation started, I think the the last thing that I had wanted to say was that if we're trying to evaluate this as a sequel and not just as a standalone movie. It is such a departure from what you would imagine someone who enjoyed the first movie would want. Right? Yes. Yeah. It's it's like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, has some elements of dark humor to it, certainly. But it is, I don't think anyone would put it on a list of like horror comedies. No. Um it is gritty. It is naturalistic. It feels almost documentary-like in its execution. And this movie could not be farther from that. Yeah. And uh, to me, that's just like, I don't, I don't believe that to be a miscalculation. I think he did that on purpose. But yeah. I, it almost feels to me, you know, and I'm sitting here uh, 25 years later, 35 years later, I'm sorry. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Time We're gets old. away from me. Uh, you know, just guessing at things from my chair here, and I'm not an expert. I'm just speculating, but that's what people do now. We make wild <laughs> speculations and put them on the internet. Um, but it's like I think a lot of these, the, like the fact that this is like a really weird choice as a sequel, feels at least in part driven by some kind of spite. Yeah. Um. Uh. A distaste for people's thirst for a sequel. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about what was it? It was the Blair Witch too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Was like motivated by a similar idea, right? That it's like people shouldn't want a sequel to this movie. Yeah. And that's kind of what this feels like. And again, I think it works not all that well. You know? It's I I was thinking like, well, what would be the perfect sequel mm-hmm. to Texas Chainsaw? And the lazy but true answer is mm-hmm. nothing. Right. No sequel should have been made. Yeah, agreed. I will say this. I thought about this and like, I mean, I'm almost like this is kind of one of my closing thoughts, but I think it it's very um, apropos of what we're talking about right now. And that's that like, even if this is the direction that you wanted to go to like essentially parody the first movie, mm-hmm. you could do better than this, I think. Yeah. You know, so even if, if even if the idea is is if we grant the premise having legs that it's like, OK, we're going to go the complete opposite direction. It's going to be goofy. It's going to be um, like a tone that is wildly different from the first one. It's going to look different. I still think you could have tried to do all of these things and made a more entertaining film than what we got. So. Sure. I do want to kind of steer away from the negativity for a second to say to say that um, although I do have problems with this movie and conceptually, I I don't think it works. (laughs) There is something to be said about a total fucking oddball sequel Mm -hmm. that I, I will always appreciate and always like. Throw on, you know, this almost sounds like a wrap up. It's not, I'm not doing a wrap up, mm-hmm. but like, it, there's something that like always makes me come back to like this movie 
or even like Halloween Six, yeah. which is like a fucking disaster. But like, there's something. There is something about these. It's much more admirable than yeah. just a complete retread. For yes, sure. yes. That's that's exactly. Again, you're like kind of uh, cutting to the core of what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> I I completely agree with you. And yeah, and and this is not this is not even close to being one of the worst movies we've watched for this podcast by no means. Um, You know, all of this has to be taken with the grain of salt that this movie is coming on the heels of what I can say confidently is probably one of the five best horror movies ever made. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. So so big shoes to fill. Fails to fill those shoes, uh, not shocking, right? You know, so there, and I think the thing is, is it's like to me, it comes back to unevenness. There's lots of things to appreciate about this movie, mm-hmm. they just don't cohere into a film that works for me, yeah. So, I want to touch on a, a mm-hmm. little bit about that. Um, because the things that really don't work for me are the mm-hmm. family stuff, mm-hmm. like, are the, when I mean like the brothers, right, together doing their thing mm-hmm. they're fucking obnoxious but i like uh, at least in uh, idea not so much in execution i like dennis hopper as a presence in this movie mm-hmm. <clears throat> although i think given the the latter half of the movie he's doing nothing except for <laughs> screaming and chopping wood yep uh i like stretch again you know and right. i'm not saying this as a, in a pervy way i think she's a really solid mm-hmm. like horror movie character in character yeah. Uh LG I enjoy. I like the look of the movie. Um but yeah, so those are some of the things that like yeah, those things do work for me, but mm-hmm. at its core it's like, oh, you want to see the cra- the Sawyers do their crazy shit, but right. when it actually comes down to it, it's like, no, I don't. They're annoying. I don't mm-hmm. want to see them anymore. Yeah, and I mean in the first movie you know, when we watch them all together as a family unit and it things get raised to this fever pitch of insanity, like it's it's scary. It's mm-hmm. scary and it's jarring and it makes you uncomfortable. And here, the only way it really makes me uncomfortable is just like, can we be done with this, please? Yeah. Can I turn the volume down a little bit? Yeah. My, my wife was like half heartedly watching with me. Mm-hmm. And like also doing work during it. And I could just tell she was like, what the fuck is this movie? <laughs> like not really paying attention, just hearing yeah. it. Yeah. yeah it's an- annoying. Um, as far as other background on this movie, I mean, it is, it's funny. I mean, it tells you something about um, the roots of the first movie, especially if you're familiar with Canon films, right? Mm-hmm. That like, this is a film produced and financed by Canon canon films and this is like the big budget like you know yeah second second shot at this franchise like tells you how cheap the first movie was yeah um because like canon movies are cheap by their definition um now it its budget was pretty large for the studio, but then again, this is also the studio that made Masters of the Universe, you know, so they've sure. they've thrown some money at stuff in the past. And it's a hot property, like even yeah. if, even though it's like the, you know, 12 years or so after the first movie, mm-hmm. I'm sure anybody investing in in movies would be like, "Oh, a sequel to Texas Chainsaw Massacre?" Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And it didn't do that well uh, it, domestically, but it did pretty well on home video, and it, I think it made them plenty of money in the long run. 
Um, but yeah, like, uh, you know, like we were saying, this, this was not a passion project of Toby Hooper's. This was something that he was just attached to produce. Um, and, you know, Canon and he wanted, I think, two different things out of this. Canon wanted something that was going to be a much more traditional sequel to the first one. They wanted a horror movie. Uh-huh. And he very much wanted to deliver some kind of black comedy. And I think it did get hacked up in post-production by the studio. Um, I think that um, they cut a bunch of scenes that, uh, like you mentioned, the way Canon likes to get things running real tight and, and short in, in length. They cut a bunch of scenes out of this. I think there's something like 20 odd minutes of scenes wow. that are like on the DVD, like as oh, special they are? features. Yeah. I'm going to order um, it right now. Yeah, I watched a handful of them. Joe Bob Briggs is in one of them. He dies at the hands yeah. of Leatherface. Yeah. I saw that his name was in the credits, or at least mm-hmm. on IMDb, I'm sorry. And then I, I was looking for him for the whole yeah. movie. No, wow. his scene's cut out of the of the theatrical cut. Uh, but I did watch it on YouTube. The quality is absolutely terrible. Um, but uh, you can get a sense of what it was going to be. Um, yeah, and I think that... Um, as far as like the production goes, it's I mean, it's a very different animal than the first one, right? The first one is like a once in a lifetime sort of lightning in a bottle kind of thing. Uh, like we've discussed, I mean, you know, there were some uh, ethical issues with, you know, the way the tra- the cast was treated. Um, this was much more of a studio picture. And at this point, you know, Toby Hooper is now kind of on the downswing already. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of, I think the perception of his work, um, all that stuff that we talked about last week and that we've talked about before on the podcast is like already kind of coming to bear that he is, he has since made poltergeist, right. And which, which, you know, I would say that from, I mean, again, I wasn't around at the time, but I got to figure that like during production of Poltergeist, this is when you feel like Toby Hooper's star is probably the highest, right? Like he's made the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's become a cult hit. Yeah. He's had some success with the fun house. And then, you know, he's directing this big, big movie that ends up being a huge success, but then there's so much conflict that comes out of it. And, you know, it's funny. I also, was listening to some interviews with, I think both Joe Bob Briggs and Mick Garris, who's a, who was a friend of Toby Hooper's and they were both, uh, addressing that controversy. Uh And I think this is something we might've said earlier, but just because we are talking about Toby Hooper now, um, and this is probably the last time we'll cover a Toby Hooper movie. Yeah. Um, It seems like that's, Oh, maybe poltergeist. I mean, yeah. If we find a reason to do poltergeist as a one-off certainly, but in in terms of the, Oh yeah, I forgot because <laughs> they're not very good, um, but they're not that bad either. Uh, yeah, you're right. Okay, so we'll talk about Toby Hooper again. But anyways, point being, um, you know, I'll I'll save more of this then for eventually when we cover that that series. But they were both defending Toby Hooper, oh. and I think uh, I think it was I can't remember if it was Mick Garris or Joe Bob, but one of them made the very persuasive point. That it was just that, like, Toby Hooper's stature as sort of like an independent filmmaker, I think, allowed the media to kind of run roughshod over him in this, um, in how they framed this story. 
Um, because this idea that like, well, you watch Poltergeist and it's clearly like a Steven Spielberg movie. Um, you know, let's just say for the sake of argument that it was Mick Garris. Mick Garris was basically saying like, I mean, that's what Spielberg did as a producer. It's like he put his stamp all over the movie. So that's not like a knock on Toby. He's like, guess who else's movies all look like fucking Steven Spielberg movies? Robert Zemeckis. Because like, you know, Back to the Future movies are almost as much Steven Spielberg movies as they are Robert Zemeckis movies. Yeah, right. You know, it's like Steven Spielberg, the most powerful producer and director. Yeah. Who maybe ever existed. Yeah, exactly. Getting out of his gravitational pull Mm -hmm. would be difficult. Yeah. And I mean, I think the other thing, too, that they like to uh, emphasize is that they were friends, Spielberg and Toby Hooper, like. Spielberg brought Toby Hooper in because he loved the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. And like they were still friends after that movie got made. Right. Like so there's no bad blood. Yeah. Nothing happened on the set of that film that made them go that it wasn't like Spielberg came in. It was like, I have to take over the movie from this fucking hack. It's like both of them were trying to beat back this story. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could, I could see a, a version of this where, Cooper is just a harder to wrangle personality. Yeah. And Spielberg is, you know, uh, um, uh, he's a consummate uh, professional a mechanic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, and he knows exactly, you know, like, yeah, Toby, we can, you know, like I, that's just me completely 100% mm-hmm. speculating. Also, I do want to say, I just loudly proclaimed that I was going to buy the DVD or the Blu-ray of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 collector's edition with those uh-huh. missing scenes. It's $73. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, wimp. Uh, <laughs> Maybe if my Dogecoin really takes <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, I brought that I brought that up initially just because uh, there's certainly less publicized because this is a much smaller production. But it seems like there are some people who also feel like Toby Hooper was not fully invested in the making of this film while he was making it. And that's not surprising based on everything, you know, there is to learn about it. Yeah. Um, As far as cast stuff goes, uh, Bill Mosley is an interesting case here. This is really his first big role in anything. And it's one that he got via sending essentially a fan film to Toby Hooper a couple years prior to this, that was called uh, the Texas Chainsaw Manicure. Um, (laughs) And uh, at the time, Toby Hooper was like, this is great. I'm going to remember this guy. And then when this movie came along, you know, he gave him a role and I fucking hate it. I hate him in this movie, (laughs) but yeah, he's not. Yeah. He's so annoying. (laughs) Yeah. However, uh, you know, he went on to do um, some better things and he's kind of, uh, you know, horror film hall of famer now. Do you, he's not portraying the same character from the first movie, right? This no. is another brother. No, canonically, Chop Top, played by Bill Mosley in this film, is meant to be the hitchhiker's twin brother. Okay. Um, so, and he is, I mean, he's obviously been added to this film. He did not exist in the first movie. Right. But uh, as I suspected, the hitchhiker very much died after that semi truck ran over his skull. Okay. Um, <laughs> But an interesting piece of trivia. So the puppeted body that Leatherface and Chop Top both use in this movie, like specifically in the opening car chase, Mm -hmm. that is supposed to be the hitchhiker. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I didn't know that. 
Yeah, I mean, they didn't do anything to tell us that, so that's right. One thing sure, that, how would I know? Yeah, <laughs> it's like a cool thing to find out after the fact. Uh, yeah, so I thought that cool. was a cool piece of trivia. Um, and then the other thing I want to shout out, um, which you would not know by listening to this podcast or watching the movie itself, but the original poster for this film and the original VHS box cover, absolute all timer. Oh yeah. Um, which is a it is a direct parody of uh what film, Eric? The Breakfast Club? Yeah, that's right. Um yeah. it's a lot of fun. Uh and it like it's funny because it almost like sets you up for like, oh, this is what kind of movie this is gonna be. Yeah. And then it doesn't quite Then it's not. Cohere. It's not funny enough. That's the thing. Yeah. Like it's it's called a black comedy, mm-hmm. but it's not funny. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, definitely. Um. Yeah. Cool. So this is Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. Any questions? Okay. No. No. Let's uh. Let's get to the recap, and then uh. We'll. You know, if anything else comes up, we can address it. Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, if you guys want to call in during the yeah, <laughs> if you guys have questions, yeah. uh, go ahead. Call in. We'll uh. uh we'll pipe. We'll patch you in. All right. All right. Love you. Bye. Okay. We got our new text crawl. Um, I didn't look up if it was John Larroquette. I don't think it is. I think it's a John Larroquette sound alike. It is not. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's basically just recapping the first movie, catching us up to speed. Um, Texas lawmen mounted a month long manhunt, but couldn't locate the farmhouse. Officially, 13 years later, it never happened. The family could not be found, um, which sort of. Goes against the opening crawl of the first movie, which is this went down in the annals of history as yeah. the worst crime in Texas history or whatever the fuck. <laughs> it also just logically makes no fucking sense at all. Yeah. Because literally, like two different passersby encountered Leatherface at the end of their driveway, essentially. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sally runs out of the house into the street, which is like a hundred. You know, uh, even like conservatively right. or uh, not conservatively, maybe liberally. a quarter mile. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And they couldn't find the house. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it makes no sense. Hmm. Um, we also get some weird synth music kicking off over. Oh the yeah, the, the score is bad. It's uh, bad. Yeah, it's really bad. It just sounds like like uh, you know, stock stock horror movie music, mm-hmm. and partially yeah, from- composed by Hooper himself. From this particular era, which I think we've talked about this before. I've ragged on some movies. I think Return of the Living Dead 2 was the first one that I went after real hard for this era's where it's like my I was explaining this theory to a friend of mine a week ago because I was complaining, I think, about another like 1989 90 movie, Mm -hmm. which is like it's post. So like scores are great when it's orchestras and then synthesizers show up. But I think synth scores are pretty cool early on because yeah. they have a very specific sound and, the, and they kind of put you in a plate, like a time and place. But then essentially synthesizer technology got better, but that's not good because then it's like people went ape shit with it's like, oh, now it's a synth piano and a synth yeah, exactly. guitar and we like have a synth whole violin right here. Yeah. Like, no, you don't. You have a really shitty sounding version of all of those things. Yeah. Um, and then eventually people started using real real instruments again, you know, 
mostly. Yeah. So, uh, so this to me is like the worst. This is like it's, the worst era for for movie scores. I agree. It's notably bad. Uh, we do have Tom Savini though return like re- Killstreak returning, not returning mm-hmm. to the series of Texas Chainsaw. Um, but then we get a uh, Stretch. We meet Stretch, played mm-hmm. by Caroline Williams. Is that her name? That's her name. Yeah. Uh, Caroline yeah. Williams. Stay away from modern day pictures of her. It might be too. Oh, much. really? Yeah. A lot of a lot of work done. She's had some work, uh, but I she might be. She's probably a great person, and I'm not trying to judge. Just you know, not. Uh, sure. Yeah. She worked a lot. She still works. Uh, yeah. That's, that's impressive. Uh, but she is a smoke show in this movie. She's a radio host at K Okla, which is too many letters. <laughs> yeah. K O K L O K L A. Yeah. Um. So then uh, uh, we get Stretch doing her radio show. Um, give us, let's give Stretch a call. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. We get two fucking like high school senior nerd, not nerds, mm. like preppy dudes in a convertible racing down the highway, shooting mailboxes. Uh, they're listening to Stretch's radio show. Yeah, when we're talking about obnoxious characters. We get really oh thrown God. into the fire right away. Yeah, um. right away. I did like the funny sunglasses that one of them has. <laughs> Um, um wait before we move too far away from the opening of the movie very briefly there was a name in the credits that caught my eye it looked very familiar and that name was bonita pietila okay uh, who is the casting director of this film so i went and i looked her up i was like why the fuck do i know that name uh and this was her very first job as a casting director and really um she's for most of the last 30 years has only had pretty much one job. And that is the head of casting for the Simpsons. Oh, wow. Oh yeah, sure. Okay. I can see the name in the credits now. Right. Cause in, you see in, it like, Simpsons every fucking week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there you go. Oh, I don't even know what that job entails. It's like, well, there's like six people who make that show. <laughs> and then it's like, so she gets one celebrity. Yeah. Except one guest a, a week. week. Yeah. I don't know. Seems like like an easy gig, anyways. So uh, they're on. We're on our way to the biggest party in the world. They give Stretch a call to um, like. There are a couple of senior boys. She. uh, I was very confused about why Stretch cannot hang up on them because they stay (laughs) on the line with her way too long, just like talking shit. Mm -hmm. And Stretch is like, "Okay, guys." All right, guys, can you hang up now, please? Well, I think wasn't this. This is like an old. I remember this as being a thing for like at least some period of time. If you're talking to someone on a landline and then you hung up, but they didn't. And then you pick the phone back up like 10 seconds later, they would still be there. Do you remember this? Yeah. Yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. But I also feel like that only lasted for like 10 seconds and then it would like just, but maybe I'm wrong and maybe, maybe when we were younger, it was even different, you know? You would think that a radio station would just have the ability oh, yeah. to not be hijacked by their listeners. By a single caller? Yeah. <laughs> like, if somebody just was, would start swearing, they would hang up on them and not be like, yeah. oh, no, please, don't swear anymore. Yeah, you're um, right. <laughs> so they stay on the line while they're playing, like, chicken with a, a pickup truck. They force that pickup truck off the road. Um, <laughs> LG, we meet LG, who just, like, stretches engineer. Uh, looks like it's a real. What the fuck is that? What the fuck is that? What was? 
<laughs> I, it wasn't on my end. Was it on your end? I if it was, I don't know what it was. <laughs> what the fuck was that? <laughs> Are you fucking with me? I am not fucking with you. I am terrified right now. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? What? <laughs> what? It okay. sounded like your dog's going crazy. I thought it might have been for a second, but then I think that was a person. <laughs> um, this might be... Am I about to be murdered? <laughs> this might be the last episode of Killstreak, <laughs> but also the best. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways. Do, anyway. you feel, do you feel like uh, LG... Uh, is that his name, LG? LG, yeah. LG. Does he look like a little too much like Jim Sidow to you to like cause? He does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, I could definitely see that. When he first Um, showed up, I was like, wait, so does he work at the radio station? But he looks young, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so then it's it's eight eleven. It's eight eleven Texas time on Friday night. I know nobody's listening because y'all are and I could not understand what the fuck I rebounded. Three times uh-huh. to see what she was saying. So I we still don't know what she said. Still don't know what she's saying. Okay. Um, the boys call back, hanging up Lamo. Go call your mother. <laughs> and they say, like, bright lights, big titties. <laughs> <laughs> That's the funniest thing in the whole movie. That is the funniest yeah. thing in the movie. Uh, they come to a bridge, and a pickup truck is blocking their way. Maybe it's the one that they forced off the road. It's unclear. Um, the radio station is, can hear all of this. They're getting chased. By this pickup truck that gets close to them. Leatherface pops up on the truck. He has like this dead body puppet, which we just learned was is actually supposed to be the hitcher, hitchhiker from the first mm. movie. Um, he's like dancing with his dead body like a puppet. One of the guys shoots their gun, hits the hits the the hitchhiker's corpse in the face. The head comes away, revealing Leatherface. He fires up his chainsaw and starts cutting into their car. Um, they shoot back. All of this is being broadcast. Well, not be actually. It's just being recorded. I don't think it's being broadcast on the air. Mm. He cuts the car up. Sparks are going everywhere. Um, one of the dudes gets the like the top of his head sliced off diagonally. Looks pretty cool. Some good Tom Savini makeup work. Uh, special effects work. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this. Uh, some of the Savini stuff looks good. I think that he is not the guy that I would pick to do the kind of like if you were trying to follow suit with the first movie, yeah, and sort of the grittiness of the of of the effects and like even the the leather face mask and things like that. Like Savini's a little too flashy. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he kind of honestly, he does fit with like sort of the tone that Toby Hooper went for a lot of the time here. But to me, it feels a little incongruous, I guess. Yeah, you kind of want just like the most straightforward, realistic effects if you're making a sequel to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, They end up crashing, Stretch and LG are listening. They're all freaked out. The next morning, we're at the crash site. Dennis Hopper, lefty. Is there? He's a Texas lawman. I think a ranger or something. Yep. Um, he's investigating the cuts on the car. The other cops pull up. They sass him because they don't really realize who he is. Uh, they still sass him after they find out who he is. <laughs> um, he's hunting down the killers. Uh, I think I don't know if it's said in this scene or if it's just said later. 
but he's related to Franklin and Sally. He's their uncle, I think, is the... Which I think also age-wise is like a little sketchy because... I mean, I guess it makes sense because this is 12 years later, but he seems like a little young. So he's like a youngish uncle, I suppose. Yeah. Um, also, I, another one of my notes that I missed before we got out of the scene was I think the song playing during the car chase is an Oingo Boingo song. Which Oh, yeah, I think it is. Which the I soundtrack wanted. is good. Yeah. Like you said, score bad, soundtrack good. Yeah. yeah. There's like, yeah, there's like a rock and roll energy to this movie, which I do like. Um. So like the cops like nah it's just ki- wild kids. Well, one of these kids was so wild he sawed his own head off going to ninety miles per hour. <laughs> um, like the uh, the cop who's assassin lefty. I have the authority to put you on a plane back to Armarilla. <laughs> I love Armarilla. <laughs> um, so I'd like to see that authority. Finally, Lefty is able to like browbeat this guy into doing what he wants, which is to put out a story in the paper uh, to the public about the murders and uh, asking for any, uh, any witnesses next morning stretches read the paper. She's knocking on lefty's door in an absolutely rambunctious (laughs) hotel room. Yeah. So the setting here is that I don't think they ever call it out by name because of, I'm sure copyright issues, but the implication is that this is a big University of Oklahoma versus University of Texas football weekend. Right. Uh, And that's what everybody's partying for. And I guess it's taking place uh, in Texas, but it gets confusing because they talk about Dallas a lot, but UT is here in Austin. So the geography, I never quite sorted out. Well, the geography of the whole movie, especially when we get into the later section, literally doesn't make any sense. Yeah. (laughs) Neither does Um, the plot. No, no. (laughs) It's also a chili cook-off happening in the the lobby of this hotel. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Stretch knocks on Lefty's door. She's a witness. She has the tape of the boys being murdered. And, um, you know, this is her big chance to stop playing headbanging music and do something real. Uh, so Lefty kind of like sends her away. I can't. I can't even remember why he sends her away, or like what the rationale is. Yeah, he sends her away, and then uh, she starts. He starts talking to his own hand. I ain't got no fear, Lord. I ain't got no fear. There's like this big like he just like speaks in Bible verses at some point just for the rest of the movie. His character is kind of let's just call it loosely sketched. Um, yeah, and it's a disappointment because. Dennis Hopper is the right kind of maniac to have on a Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. movie. Yeah. I just don't know. I don't know if it's an issue of what direction he was given, if any. Uh, there were some there were some some comments and in some interviews that seemed to suggest that Toby Hooper didn't. And I guess this is something that also was true of the first film, too. So this may be indicative of his directing style, but he's not a big actor's director. I don't think he gives a whole sure. t- a whole ton of motivation or specifics. And it's kind of just like, hey, do what you want to do with it. OK. You know. Uh, meanwhile, downstairs, LG's at the chili cook off. He's making a log cabin from his French fries. Very impressive work. <laughs> The fries look gross, though. Yeah, the fries look very soggy. (laughs) Um, And then they uh, they crown the... So basically, Stretch and LG are there to cover the chili Mm cook-off. 
which coincidentally is in the same hotel. Yeah. Um, they they crown the champion from Dallas's favorite caterer, Drayton Sawyer, second year in a row, and it's the old man, the cook, cook the cook, uh, from the first movie. Um, he gets the you know, he says a little words like, "So what? What's the secret? The meat? Don't skimp on the meat. Obviously, he's serving human meat in this <laughs> chili that's winning winning him uh, competitions." He's successful beyond belief now. Yeah, the the I think the woman somebody somebody snags a human tooth, yeah, uh, in their chili. They're like, "Hey, what's this?" And he's like, "Oh, I'll take that. Just a little. That's bit just of, a peppercorn. Yeah, hard shell peppercorn." <laughs> uh, then we we're at cut right chainsaws. Lefty pulls out, lays out like a thousand dollars on a stump. Yeah, <laughs> and, and the, the the shop owner's like, "What can I do you for?" Lefty doesn't say a word this entire scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like trying out chainsaws. He picks out three. He has two small guys that he can like dual wield, one in each hand, and kind of be. Right. They're like littler, more maneuverable. Then he has this big boy who, who like is more of his main weapon. Mm-hmm. And it's very similar to to Leatherface's chainsaw, right? I think. Yes. To to me, and I know 17-year-old Mike would slap myself in the face, but I'm going to go ahead and say, I think Leatherface's chainsaw in this movie, it's too long. It's uh, Sure, it yeah. feels comical to me. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem yeah. maneuverable. What would you use that for? I guess a really, really big, like a redwood, maybe. I don't yeah, know. I guess so. <laughs> um, So uh, the guy's like, well, he... You can try him out outside, and there's a big stump. And Lefty goes out and just starts going fucking nuts on this log. And at first, I thought the owner was like terrified about what's happening, but mm-hmm. he seems into it. He's like, <laughs> Yeah, he's a chainsaw enthusiast. He likes he's a to chain, see. He's like, Oh, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> kind of getting off on it. Um, so then uh, Stretch pulls up to the radio station, which is uh, above a gun store. <laughs> which I thought is a funny detail. Yeah. He's waiting for her. He wants to hear that tape now, but he wants her. He's making a request. And I suppose, I suppose the DJ code of ethics would never <laughs> deny a request. That's right. I, I signed a, an oath. Uh, <laughs> the HIPAA HOPA oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ so the whole reason I didn't say anything is because I was like no I don't have anything good uh, I'm not going to go with it <laughs> I, I respect you for just plowing ahead into the darkness I didn't have anything good either but <laughs> it's like, words. quick 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 uh, Hippocratic punt no I got nothing <laughs> um, so he wants her to play the murder tape on the air I can't do that but it's a request well, I guess she's bound to it. Um, meanwhile, she plays the tape, and uh, he. Uh, oh, basically, he's like, "Yeah, I think the killers are up here now." You know, they're they're doing all these murders. Right. Drayton's in his truck, his catering truck, celebrating his win. He's got his big trophy next to him. Uh, Stretch gets on the air. This is for Lefty. And then she plays the radio, though she, she plays the tape on the radio, which straight up is like the first words are like, oh, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's just a murder. It's just a murder. There's no way 
yeah. this would ever make it on the air. <laughs> FCC is asleep at the wheel tonight. Yeah. Drayton gets a call from his boys. Oh, by the uh, way. Mm-hmm. So Drayton, and, and this is something. Okay, so in the first scene of the movie, the guys are calling the radio. And I'm like, wait, does he have a cell phone? And it's like, he's got a car phone. Yeah. But it's it's 86. And I'm like, man, how long were car phones around for? And I'm like, all right, I guess. I mean, obviously, it's in the movie. It's technology that exists. Then Drayton is calling. She he gets a phone call, and it's just a fucking office phone that's oh, sitting on the that. dashboard of his catering <laughs> truck. And has like, a car phone? No, it's just like it has multiple lines, and it's just like a white corded phone. Oh, that's uh, funny. That a secretary would answer. So <laughs> some wild car phone technology in this movie. I told you boys don't call on this phone. What's on the radio? He turns at the station and we hear the murderer. You butt scratchers, you'll be the death of me. <laughs> um. So the radio station is apparently playing it over and over again. <laughs> like once on the, maybe like every hour yeah, or so. They're just hemorrhaging listeners tonight. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's a fucking Friday night or whatever, Saturday night. And it's just <laughs> playing this murder tape over the air over and over again. Oh boy. Uh, they finally sign off for the night. We sure got a lot of complaints, darling. <laughs> LG. <laughs> it was a request though. Uh, it's apparent that LG has this crush on her. So stretch is going to close up. LG leaves. Um, and then she gets a call, but nobody's on the other line. Suddenly there's a bang in the studio. A weird noise, similar to the one that we just heard from Mike's house. <laughs> <laughs> if you go out there, maybe chop tops going to be out there. Cause that's what happened. She looks around, she goes into the lobby chop tops there. I I like to buy some radio airtime. He's totally fucking nuts. Has big, big energy. Me me and Bubba listen to you every night. Um, Throughout the scene, he's lighting the tip of a coat hanger. He's heating it up and then sticking it into his wig. We later learn it's a wig, like scratching his head with it. Yeah, everything. It's kind of cool. Everything is just so big. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's like the way he plays it, but also just that as a choice is like, it's a little too much. Uh, well, he's also dressed like a hippie. Yeah, from like he's dressed like 60s. Sonny Bono. Yeah, he's dressed like Sonny Bono. It's a Sonny Bono wig. Yeah. yeah. Um, And he's just being obnoxious. He wants a tour of the radio station. He's like, okay, I'll give you a tour, but then you got to leave. This is uh, a lamp. This is a typewriter. This is a little rubber man. <laughs> a few other things this is another lamp and that's the exit sign tours over and then uh there's a kind of a funny moment where they're like she's like okay good night he's like oh good night uh good night oh, good night <laughs> they kind of go back and forth like five times right yeah um oh yeah he wants his request which is to play that murder tape again he wants to hear it um he scrapes the coat hanger along the wall which is like Ugh. Nails on a chalkboard kind of sound. Uh, we're the whole, keeping the record here. Okay. Yeah. The, no, I was just saying the whole time. So this is one of the few scenes. Uh, I should really just say shots in the movie that actually worked pretty well for me. So the whole yeah. time they're having this conversation, they're she he's sort of stalking her around the room, and she's always backing up into stuff. 
and they land they're right in front of the the room full of records and it's dark and it's but you can see stacks and stacks of records and that's what he's so they're both like standing on either side of this doorway and he's asking about the record collection in there yeah um, right. what's in here uh it's a record vault and then i love this i actually love this scare this jump mm-hmm. scare he turns a light on leatherface is right there yeah, chainsaw fires up immediately. It's really shocking. The timing on it is good. It's it is it is a big scare for sure. And he and the way he comes out of the darkness, but they switch the light on it is like very yeah. It's a good jump for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, he he swings his chainsaw. He hits Chop Top's head. Sparks fly off. His wig comes off, and we see he has a giant plate in his head. Um, and he makes some comments about like you know I don't have to go back to the. You made a dent in my plate. I'm gonna have to go back to the VA hospital. So he's like a a World War II. He's a Vietnam vet. Is what I yeah. wanted to say. Yeah, which he will mention forty more times. Yeah, yeah uh, before exactly. the end of the movie. Yeah. Uh, Leatherface chases her up the stairs. She sprays him with a fire extinguisher. Dog will hunt. Get that bitch, Leatherface. A lot of bitch getting thrown around. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh. Chop Top's just like throwing records around, breaking records. Leatherface is trying to saw his way through a metal door, like stretch his locker self into like the storage room. Um, LG comes back with a couple of drinks for him and Stretch sees the truck outside, is confused. Then he comes in and he <laughs> he sees uh, CT messing with with the uh, the records and. <laughs> Lick my plate, dog dick. <laughs> I can't remember who said it. I should have. I should have written down the character said it. But it's a great line. I love that line. Uh, Leatherface knocks him down, and then Chop Top take pulls out a hammer and just starts hitting him in the head over and over again. Time for incoming mail. Ho Chi Minh <laughs> doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, um. I I just I'll just get it out of the way now. So this. Like Chop Top attacking um, LG was one of the moments that made me decide that I didn't like this movie. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah, because this is, I mean, like there, in, in recapping this, there's no point in in bringing this up. But they essentially, the scene that's about to unfold with Stretch and Leatherface, like they're constantly cutting back and forth between that scene yeah. and Chop Top and LG and so it's like to just put into contrast, like I think a really stark contrast to the difference between the first movie and the second movie is in the first movie. One of the great things about that movie is like the bluntness and the reality of the violence that gets inflicted on people. Yeah. Right. And like they sort of make it this analogy to the slaughter. It's not even an analogy. It's like a slaughterhouse. Right. And like you hit somebody in the head once he flops, you hit him again. He's dead. That's like the M.O. in the first movie. In this one, we have probably 40 seconds in total of Chop Top constantly hitting LG over the head again and again and again. But it's not even that gruesome because it's completely unrealistic because there's no there's just blood everywhere. There's yeah, no yeah. damage to his head sure, and he's yeah, yeah. wide eyed and, and flailing his arms around eyes open shouting so it's like it is the farthest thing from realistic violence. Yeah. And it just like it feels very dissonant to me. And, well, and it, it doesn't just, even yeah. kill him. Right. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler. He's going to be alive in a future scene. And he yeah. must get hit in the head with a hammer 20 times just on camera. You know. 
Oh yeah. Um. So meanwhile, Leatherface bursts through the wall where Stretch is hiding, and he like starts sawing through this like cooler full of like beers and ice. It's weird. And so, it's weird. She like backs. She's like standing over it. She backs up. Her legs are spread, and he's like pumping his chainsaw like towards her. Mm-hmm. Clearly, not even trying to be subtle in its phallic metaphor right like it's phallic symbolism he like buries it in the ice and it's just sawing ice and soda for an extreme amount of time i would yeah. say it's probably 30 or 45 seconds that she's just screaming and he's sawing a cooler full of sodas and and it's spraying all over her and she's getting all wet and it's like yeah and again it's like uh, yeah keep, describe describe keep going on this on this sure scene. yeah 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 so he's like working his way sliding his chainsaw upper legs and she's like starts saying weird things like are you mad at me how mad at me are you you're not really mad at me how good are you like it's like it gets mm-hmm. sexual all of a sudden and right. like not like she's she's getting off on this right but i think she's it's a strategy. Tapping, yeah. It's a strategy, exactly. She's like tapping into his psyche a little bit mm-hmm. to try to like take control of the situation. And he's right right between her legs. Um, like really just like touching it. Right <laughs> in her Daisy Dukes. And she's like, You you're really good. And Leatherface basically like fucking comes in his pants. Yeah. And like like shivers, like goes nuts, fires up the chainsaw and just starts like sh- trashing the place. Right, but he does leave her. Basically, he just he does, yeah. Um, so exactly, it, her gambit has been successful, and I mean, this is just another one of those scenes where, in like multiple reviews, I read people talking about like the sexualization and the metaphor and stuff, and I'm like, if this is what we're calling metaphor, <laughs> right, right, it's like the dude. No, it's the chainsaw is his dick. It's not. I mean. It, only in the only in the seventh grade English sense is this metaphor. It's just text. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. nothing subtle about it. No, nothing at all. Um, so he runs out of there. Chop tops like Did you get her, Bubba. Um, they drag LG out, drive off. Stretch gets into her jeep. She's waiting for Lefty this whole time. By the way, mm-hmm. Lefty should have come to her rescue. Uh, she follows the guys. And then to their hideout, which is Texas Battleland. It's like an abandoned amusement park. Mm-hmm. It is a pretty cool looking place, but the geography inside makes no fucking sense. It's like all subterranean tunnels yeah. mm-hmm. and you don't know like what, what direction anybody's moving in or where it is. I think it's interesting. I think it's a big swing. I do think, again, it's one of the things that contributes to a tone that I don't care for. I, in my notes, described their hideout as uh, a Texas horror TGI Fridays. Because um, <laughs> a lot of shit on the wall. There's just shit everywhere. It's just yeah, like, yeah. it's like a production designer just went ape shit. Yes. And the other thing it reminded me of, and this is when I kind of came to my conclusion about a kid's movie. Do you remember the movie Little Monsters with Fred yeah, Savage? Yeah. Howie Mandel? Totally. It feels like that. It feels like this sort of feverish, almost childlike imagine, like like sort of vision of what a hellish like underground lair would look like. You yeah. Know? That's a good call. I, I, I do think I like it, though. 
Hey, that's all right. One, one thing I'll say is this movie kind of gets better. Like I said it at the top, mm. it kind of gets better with every rewatch. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not to say it is ever completely successful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so she gets out to explore. Um, she's like under this, like these like series of arches looks pretty cool. Uh, a car pulls up, lights her up with a fl- with the headlights. She gets freaked out. She starts running, but eventually it's revealed it's Lefty. Um, and you know he's like, "Yeah, I used you to get to them." Basically, it's like he used her as bait. And then um, she's <laughs> it's revealed she's standing on a trap door that just opens. She <laughs> falls down a hole. Like yeah. he's like h- hanging on for for her life. Lefty like reaches out with a skeleton arm. Uh, for her to grab onto, but it breaks and she falls, and then she falls into the bowels of this place, which is where the rest of the movie takes place. Oh, I should also mention there's a big giant mount, like paper, uh, plaster mountain, mm-hmm. like like a Disneyland, um, right? Matterhorn like, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's skeletons everywhere. Lefty breaks out his chainsaws up up top. Time to rescue her. And then he screams, rushes at the place, and then spends the majority of the rest of the running time just sawing down load-bearing, yeah, like beams. That's not an exaggeration. There's like 30 minutes left in this movie, and he's got about mm-hmm. four lines of dialogue. Otherwise, he just screams and saws stuff, and it's like again, it's kind of a waste of Dennis Hopper. Uh, he notices that there's blood leaking out from behind a mural. And he's like, well, there must be something back there. Kicks it and just guts pour out. <laughs> this, is, this is a good touch. Yeah. It's cool. There's like, this is the, there's a handful of inspired stuff in here that I'm like, yeah, all of these pieces could be like, there's, there's, there's promise everywhere. And, you know, I sound very negative right now, but it's like that happened. And I was like, that is gross and very interesting. And yeah. I, yeah, I'm interested. It's, it's the devil's playground. I'm bringing it down, down to hell. Uh, meanwhile, Stretch comes into a room with body parts hanging from hooks, a ton of them, like, everywhere. There's dead bodies, skeletons mm-hmm. in every room, everywhere. Uh, she hears the cook yelling at the other guys, and she sees she like hides behind like a, some barrels and sees Leatherface skin LG with an electric carving knife. It's pretty gruesome. He like held he holds up different pieces of his skin to like hang up on meat hooks. Yeah. Including his face. And she makes a noise. He finds her. Um and then he she starts to scream and he stops her. It touches her face and stuff. So there's like, you know, he kind of wants to help her, but he doesn't want to disappoint his family essentially. And she asks him for help to get out of there. So to help her, she puts LG's face on her face. <laughs> and she doesn't want that. She just rightfully she's like, oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> and the cowboy hat to boot. Uh, did you think she did a pretty good job? I don't know. I'm not putting words in your mouth. Mm-hmm. I think she did a pretty good job in this. I think she's this, fine. Yeah. She's certainly, I would say that as far as who works for me in this movie, I think she and LG are both good. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, I, you know, of, of the, of the Sawyer clan, I think I was, I enjoyed Jim Sidow the most. Uh, okay, he does, yeah. he does get to be a bit much towards the end, but it's also just like, he's, 
I I think he's just a little less abrasive than Bill Mosley is. And I guess I don't have any big problems with Leatherface here. I do think that this portrayal, so this is a different actor. It's a guy named Bill Johnson. Mm-hmm. And I think his physicality lacks. I think Gunnar Hansen plays a much weirder and more memorable Leatherface in terms of the way he moves. I agree. Um, and also, I, I can't figure it out for sure, but I also don't think he's big enough. I get the impression that Gunnar Hansen is larger. Now, it may not be a difference yeah. of much size, but it's just like, it, it, or maybe the other actors are too tall. I mean, her name is Stretch. Maybe she's a particularly tall woman, but he's not as imposing to me as Gunnar Hansen was. Um, Leatherface ties her up and uh, leaves. And then she sees LG starts moving. He's still alive, but he has no face. He like sits up. He's faceless, has a, a piece carved out of his chest. Mm-hmm. It looks sucks to be LG in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, I, I mean, again, this is like, these effects are like very impressive, but they're also like, they're so extreme that they don't really feel as impactful. They're kind of over the top, you know? Yeah. yeah. So there's a weird moment. He's basically like, don't be scared, darling. And then he, he's going to cut her loose, and he picks up a, a butcher knife that's hanging out. Mm-hmm. And they're like, they make us think that he's going to stab her, potentially, or maybe like accidentally stab yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. He fumbles a little bit, or stutters, I guess you would say. And he cuts her loose, and he's, ah, shit. And he dies. I think he says, looks like I'm falling apart on you. Oh, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's kind of sad. Yeah, it's sad. She sadly puts his face back on him, <laughs> and like kind of like tries to like smooth it out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's a nice touch. <laughs> and she wanders into the family's barbecue pit. There's bodies everywhere. Leatherface is oh, Lefty. Meanwhile, sawing up the place, screaming about burning it all down. Yeah, I wrote in my notes. So this is like the weakest part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Because it's very loud and annoying. Everybody's yelling. Uh, Chop Top is pitching his idea to turn this Texas battle land into Nom land. Um, Stretch kind of like tries to sneak past him down a pipe, but they see her. <laughs> Some kind of crazy booger just skits through here. <laughs> he calls <laughs> her a booger. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lefty finds. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, Lefty. Finds Franklin's corpse tied to his, his, it's still in his wheelchair and holding the flashlight. Oh, don't you cry, my brother. I'm here now. So I don't know. It's he calls so him brother, confused. but he, I mean, it's in the scene with the cop at the beginning. He says, I think, explicitly that they're his like brother's kids or something. Okay. Like that. Yeah. That makes, yeah. I miss that. And I also debate the plausibility of this emotional meeting because. There's no way Franklin's own parents cared about him as much as yeah. Lefty seems to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Franklin sucks. <laughs> um, so Stretch emerges into a tunnel, which is just like filled with Christmas lights and lamps. I like the look of this. It's mm-hmm. a very, very long tunnel. Yeah. Uh, Leatherface bursts through a wall, chases her. <laughs> Lefty is like in the same area. He cuts like a load bearing two by four, which triggers a collapse like 20 feet away, right <laughs> where Leatherface and Stretch are. 
Yeah, makes makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, so they're trapped. She's trapped in there with them. She basically like breaks up with Leatherface. <laughs> I it is this I enjoyed, and I would say that like yeah, I do think she does a good job with some really kind of insane dialogue. Uh huh. Yeah. What does she say? She's like, I just can't do that. I can't do this yeah, with you anymore. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the cook and seats and Chop Top find them. And they tease Leatherface about having a girlfriend. He's like pleading with him. She's pleading with him to help her. Um, so then Chop Top tells her to finish her off. Um, but he won't do it. So he's basically like, I, uh, I think it's the cook is like, turn traitor for a piece of tail. You have one choice, sex or the saw. Sex, well, nobody knows. But the saw is family. Chop Top knocks her out. Then we get a repeat of the dinner scene from the first movie. I don't think it's shot for shot. Feels almost shot for shot. Because she pops awake, screams, mm-hmm. and we pull back to reveal the rest of the table. Right. Which, in my memory, is what happens in the first movie. They wheel Grandpa up. Grandpa's on a strict liquid diet. Keeps him fresh as a rose. Um, and then, we are, again, we get the cook ranting about modern day slaughterhouses and how it ruined their family basically like yeah. the, the the grandfather grandpa was so disgusted with the new methods that he just couldn't do it anymore yeah now let me pose a question to you um because we mentioned tom savini which grandpa makeup do you like better um i think technically the grandpa makeup in this one looks better but i like the original more it's it's more impactful right does it feel scarier yeah. to you it feels scarier and weirder. Yeah. Which is like, it just feels off. So I yeah. enjoy that. Yeah. And this one, it like, if it's like, oh, this is actually supposed to be an old man, mm-hmm. which in the yeah. first movie, you're like, you have a little bit of questions of like, what am I even looking at? Here? Right. Yeah. And I think, again, that feeds into my issue, which I think I've come to settle on. I think there is a, there is a slickness to Tom Savini's effects that doesn't, fit with what I think this franchise should be. Yeah, I think I agree with you there. Um so they wheel her up for grandpa to to whack with his hammer. Um the hammer the hammer ham they hand him the hammer. Again he can't he can't do it. He keeps dropping it. And then eventually he gets a few licks in. There is an energy about this scene. It's very chaotic. It's also very, very annoying. It's a, to- it's a total repeat of the first movie. Yeah. Yeah. Except you have Chop Top, who's much more annoying than the hitchhiker. Yeah. Who's going at a much higher volume, competing with Jim Sidow, who's, e- who's even broader than he was in the first one. I think Le- Leatherface is screaming and grunting more than he did in the first movie. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, and I, and I mean, I also think that like, you know, I like Stretch. I like Carolyn Williams in this, but like Marilyn Burns, Sally in the first one, like her sort of plaintive screaming is one of the first things I remember when I think about that movie. Yeah. Uh, and that's like missing from all of this. It's I mean, but it's also just going for something very different. But I can't figure out what it is. Like, I don't know what Toby Hooper wants out of this scene. Why are we doing this again? Mm hmm. 
there could be a reason, but I can't figure out what it is. And it doesn't make itself apparent from how he pulls this off. I don't know. Do you have a thought on this? Do you think he's trying to accomplish something by just running us through it again? I'm equally as confused uh, Mm -hmm. because that I asked myself that very same question. Like, what is he adding to the original with this scene of just repeating what we've seen? And I don't think I have an answer other than it's just a repeat of the original. Yeah. It's just like calling, hearkening back to the more successful movie. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if, that I have an answer. Yeah. I know we have some listeners that like this movie more than I do. So, Hey, chime in, let it, let me know. Like, I, I don't think that I'm necessarily right. It's more just like, I'm, I'm, I'm lacking for an explanation. And if you have one, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, me too. Um, Okay, so then Lefty starts, he busts in with his chainsaws ablazing. I'm the Lord of the Harvest. Um, the cook thinks it's like some rival catering company. Who's that? Some new health food bunch? <laughs> he, Lefty, chopped, like, cuts into the cook's dick and ass, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's gruesome. <laughs> he cuts up his ass, and yeah, then he, like, ugh, the whole unpacking of the... Not literal unpacking, but him like acknowledging the wounds and coming back with blood on his hand is pretty gross. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Under the table. He's like examining himself. Small businessmen always get it in the ass. (laughs) Uh, Lefty cuts stretch free. And then there's a chainsaw fight with he does a chainsaw fight with Leatherface where stretch while it's happening. Stretch runs out. Chop tops chasing her. Lefty cuts into uh. Leatherface's belly, and then um, uh, the cook is like, "Well, maybe it's time to just shut down." Where's that old fuck you, Charlie? And he pulls out a grenade. <laughs> I yeah, which he got a fuck you, Charlie. Yeah, I, I neither had I, and I get it. Uh, <laughs> it's clever. Um, he, he pulls that off of the hitchhiker, which I think he refers to as nubbins. Really? Point. Oh, yeah. I missed that. Missed that nubbins part. Yeah. Uh, also, meanwhile, Grandpa's just like walking around. Yeah, out of the out of the wheelchair. <laughs> and Lefty leaves the the big chainsaw on Leatherface's belly and pulls out the two little guys. Then Grandpa comes up behind him with a mallet, uh, and like I don't think he whacks him, but just right then, Cook pulls the grenade, uh, pulls the pin on the grenade. Uh, meanwhile, up top, Chop Top tackles Stretch. He's like chasing him through, chasing her through the 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 labyrinthine tunnels of this place. Mm-hmm. She tackles Stretch. She she breaks a lamp on his head and like electrocutes him with his on his uh plate, <laughs> not to the death, but just like shocks yeah. him. Um, down below, Grandpa throws his hammer and hits accidentally hits Leatherface in the face. And then Leatherface um, his, like, jerks his chainsaw and gets the cook again up the ass. Right? Am I, am I misremembering <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right. He gets it. Yeah, the ass crouch again, yes. Again, he drops the grenade. It blows. Kills everybody inside, I suppose. Um, then meanwhile, Chop Top is chasing Stretch up that big mountain, that, like, Matterhorn Mountain. He's like slashing the back of her legs and knee and, and, and calves. And it's daylight now. It's daylight now. Yeah. The sun's coming up. Yeah, exactly. 
um, she kicks him like off a railing, and he's like hanging there. It's kind of cool. I do think this scene goes on pretty long, though. It like it does. Like it just it drags out a bit. And it, like so, the, the she gets to the top. There's this big corpse of Grandma, which is like this big lady holding a chainsaw. Mm-hmm. Um, Chop Top climbs up there, and he he corners stretch and he starts like slashing his own throat to like show how fucking crazy he is not like not like not deeply deep, yeah but just like it starts cutting his own throat <laughs> and he says like it's like death eating a cracker isn't it uh, which i don't get but it's a weird line there's a lot of weird lines in this movie agreed yeah uh she pulls out grandma's chainsaw which kind of like collapses her corpse a little bit yeah. because she's like mummified he she is slowly fuck he gets pissed. Don't you mess with grandma? She's like trying to get it started. It won't start. This, He's like, I know you're just about to wrap up, but just this begs the question for me. What the fuck happened to their parents? If we have grandpa and grandma, grandma where's and they're all and brothers. Yeah. Who are mom That's and dad? Why I, always, I always thought the old man was the dad. It seems like it. Are we going to find out in future sequels? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think remember. So. Yeah, but, I don't remember yeah. either. He's like slashing up her back the whole time while she's trying to get it going, which yeah. is like, Ugh, that's pretty gruesome. Uh, and then she gets it fired up, slices him up the belly. He falls backwards over a railing, falls down a tube in, in the side of the mountain, back down into the bowels. And then she does the chainsaw dance from the top of the mountain, swinging that bad boy around. And that's it. Cut to black or whatever the fuck. Cut to credits. <laughs> Fun song in the credits. It's by Stuart Copeland of The Police. Oh, cool. I forget what the title is, but it's all about like strange things happen to a man on the road. And I sat and listened to the whole song because I thought it was fun and weird. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, okay, so body count. We got the two boys from the from the opening in the car. We got LG, Lefty, The Cook, Leatherface, and Chop Top. I mean, really, none of them die. They all, at least Leatherface comes back. Um, but for the sake of this movie, they're dead. What would you say is your favorite death in the movie, Mike? Um, man, it's got to be the opening, honestly. Like, mm. I was still kind of excited about where this movie was going to go because it is wild. It's like, you know, it, it takes some big swings. And that opening car chase is fucking weird. I think having... The hitchhiker's body, like, puppeted on the front of Leatherface is a cool, creepy effect that's Mm. very, like, simple. And I think the best Tom Savini effect in this movie, while pretty over the top, is that uh, douchebag frat guy's skull coming half off and blood spreading everywhere. So that's my pick. I think I'm there with you. I did like the lefty death more than you, or at least the hammer portion of lefty's death. Uh-huh. More than you, but I think yeah, I'm with you on that. Oh, I also miss Grandpa. Grandpa dies. Yeah, yeah, he does. Maybe. Uh so we here on Kill Streak like to talk about how scary these movies are, and we compare them to the famous horror directors. We used to do John Carpenter, but now we are on the Wes Craven scale. That's right. Uh, do you do you have his filmography pulled up? I can send it to you if not. Uh, no, I have it in front of me. Uh, okay. The yeah, director only. We're not using writer credits. No, yeah, director only. 
So this movie is not very scary. It has a couple scares. It has one good jump scare that we talked about with Leatherface. And I think there's a handful more decent ones. I think there's some good gross out moments. Uh-huh. Um, but overall, obviously the mood of this is pretty goofy, right? Yeah. Um, so I think for me, this feels like it lands somewhere in the scream sequels category. Oh, interesting. So I'm curious what you think. Hear me out on this. Okay. Um, as you pointed out, this does have the energy of mm-hmm. like a dark children's movie in some ways. Okay. Um, and there is a movie that takes place in the labyrinthine uh, uh, tunnels beneath a house <laughs> sure. where there's a bunch of disgusting, gross stuff packed into, yeah. into it. Uh, and it's over-the-top performances. I'm talking about the people under the stairs would be yeah. my pick for this one. Although I think I like that movie more than this one. I do, too. And, and I mean, this is the other thing, too, is there's a little bit of uh, identity crisis with the scales because I think we started out initially trying to make these a fairly accurate comparison to how scary these two yeah, movies yeah. are, right? You're but right. O- over time, both of us have been complicit in transforming this also into something where we're trying to thematically fit yeah. the movies together. But I really think you got a good point there. To me, I'm I'm trying like I aspire at least to serve both masters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when when I'm able to get like a content and theme fit to work right, it's very satisfying. However, I do think that the people under the stairs is a significantly scarier movie than this one. I think you're right. And so, going off of you, uh, what you've said already. You want to say Scream 3? <laughs> I think that's right. I think Scream okay. 2. I think Scream 2 is a little too good. Too good. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right, Scream 3 it is. But I think as far as themes go and connecting these movies together, you're spot on. People Under the Stairs is a close analog. Okay, now finally, um, the pass-fail, kind of like, do we recommend this movie? And we grade that on the classic rubric, Mary fuck kill. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll go first. Okay. Uh, I've alluded to this uh, before in this episode. Uh, this is a movie that I've seen, I've seen like half a dozen times, maybe every time I think I enjoy it a little bit more, still don't love it, but you know, I keep, I kind of keep coming back to it. So I think for that reason, I'm going to put this in the fuck category Mm-hmm. It's definitely a curiosity um, that every once in a while I'm like, I should watch that again. It's been a while. Uh, so, yeah, I think this is a fuck for me. Okay. Um, you know, I'm, I imagine that there is something to that idea that, like, future rewatches would probably favor this movie as opposed to taking away from its perceived value for me. Um. Right now, coming out of just watching it, I kind of feel like watching this can only take away from your enjoyment of the first movie and perhaps the esteem that you would hold Toby Hooper in as a director. 
Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that is like really pressing me as far as where does this land between a fuck and a kill for me? Sure. Be- because like you said, it's a curiosity. It's certainly interesting. It has its moments. It is better than lots of other horror movies. Like it is, it's not, I mean, you know, it's, it's maybe barely in the, the lower 50th percentile. I mean, honestly, it feels like it's right around the middle for me uh, of, of most of the stuff that I watch, but you know, it really does pale in comparison to the first one. Yeah. And I just think like, I would give this movie an extremely tentative qualified fuck. And that is understand that you are not going to get a satisfying sequel to the Mm -hmm. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? But if you want something zany and really weird and kind of (laughs) half-assedly executed, but with some strange moments, Mm -hmm. it's certainly a memorable movie. I will be thinking about it a lot for a while. Yeah, Uh, and I I think that's the key with this movie is uh, that's why I keep coming back to it, mm because I think about it a lot. Yeah, it, there is something here. There's some je ne sais quoi that, that <laughs> there's something there. Yeah, yeah. And this is a decision I have just made on the spot. But after all of this, all, expressing all of my issues and reservations, I still think that it deserves to be acknowledged. Uh, this is not a movie that I think should be swept under the rug. It is a. It is one that 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 at least deserves some. Um, some thought uh yeah so yeah don't look for uh, a satisfying sequel to the original but check it out if after hearing all of that it still sounds intriguing to you yeah so a very very drunk fuck <laughs> well well put uh couldn't say it any better myself uh so we're gonna we're going to take a quick break and we're gonna come back with our final segment okay we're back here with a final segment for all of you lovely listeners my future lovers i mean really let's be honest here um so what we're going to do is a brand new segment here on kill streak uh we just talked it over we are going to we want to take a look at individual movies in film series and how they operate in the context of the entire series am Mm -hmm. i making sense here yeah, I mean, it's we want to take a a long view at the moving parts of these series, and yeah, and you know, when we look back at at all the films and how they work together, do they work together? Don't they work together? You know, what's what's a good idea? What's a bad idea? I don't know. What's anything? What is life? What is, what love? is life? You know, hey, we're getting meta here. Because we are calling the segment the Metacritics. Mike and I are the Metacritics. That's right. So to bring it back to the movie that we just discussed, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, this is a movie that veers wildly in a different direction from the first. Yes. So for this first uh, installment in Metacritics, we want to talk about movies with sequel, a series with sequels that are drastically different. Yeah. Tonal tonal shifts. Tonal whiplash, if you will. Um, this is something that happens... Uh, from time to time, uh, you have enough different series and it's going to keep cropping up. And I think part of what's interesting about this is I don't think it's predictably a good or a bad move. Sometimes yeah. 
Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. And it's hard to say until you see it why it works and why it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was a question that I threw out to our our audience um, for what are some of the suggestions that that our listeners had for these kinds of movies. Uh, got some responses, and I think they are on point mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, let's discuss a few of them. Yeah, so this is one we covered. This comes from Juan Chupacabra on on Twitter, um, and they said the Blair Witch Two, yeah, Book of Shadows. And they are a staunch defender of this movie. This is one that we've covered before. Price and I weren't so kind. <laughs> Though I can see, like, it really does have that intoxicating uh, quality that this movie has in an oddball. It's, it's an oddball sequel that there's something there. Yeah. There is something there. But it, for me, that movie just does not work especially as a sequel to Blair Witch no and I mean this is something we touched on just earlier in this episode but I mean I think it is interesting that I think some of the shared DNA here is this idea of almost trying to make a meta commentary on the first movie right Mm -hmm. Um, which I think this is not a movie that would qualify as being significantly tonally different or at least not enough for me to be in this argument but it's something that Wes Craven does with the Scream series. Specifically, yeah. the second one does have a lot to say about the response to the first movie, which is it, it very much becomes like a snake eating its own tail because the first movie is really sort yeah. of a self-reflexive, uh, you know, treatise on horror movies as a whole. Um, which you know, so I think that it's being very kind to Book of Shadows to really say that it succeeds in trying to, to pull yeah. off these ambitious things, but it does have some interesting ideas in mind at least. Yeah. I, and I think book of shadows is similar to Texas Chainsaw Massacre two in that there's some ideas here. Mm-hmm. The execution though leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah. More so in the case of Blair Witch, in my mm-hmm. opinion, there's just, you know, yeah, but a lot the- of it just, didn't add up. Yeah, for sure. But for the purposes of this question, I totally agree with you, Juan Chupacabra, that the tonal shift is uh, jarring. Yeah, these are two very, very different kinds of films. So, yeah, for sure. What else have we Um, got? We got uh, from at Mortis. Mortis, like rigor mortis, but Mortis. Uh, This isn't even a horror movie. (laughs) (laughs) But we got... Uh, first Blood uh-huh. to Rambo, First Blood Part Two. Yeah, yeah. Which this is, yes, I also this also does work. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, we're we're moving outside the the genre of choice. This these are two movies that I had never seen, and I watched both of them in the last six weeks. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know it, what what do you think? Could, those two movies could not be further from each other. <laughs> the first Rambo movie, First Blood, is just like a gritty movie about ptsd yeah it's pretty good about, uh, it's a pretty it's good, good movie it's yeah. very good uh rambo 2 is just like a rah-rah america fucking rules let's kill some um what are they i guess they're vietnamese yeah are they vietnamese and in, some in russians yeah 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 uh and it's just like stallone totally took over 
the as the creative head of that movie yeah a lot of and gun fetishization into, and yeah. yeah he's shirtless through most of it whereas in like in rambo one or the in first blood he's like crying talking about mm-hmm. how these horrible experiences that he had yeah. and also he's killing cops yeah in the first movie <laughs> <That's right. laughs> he's, he's like ostensibly the bad guy although he's mm-hmm. like an anti-hero yeah um yeah that one's yeah, crazy that, yeah that's a great call um all of the Rocky too, I guess if we're going to go down the, the Stallone, sure. even just the Stallone route but Rocky, I would say, compared to Rocky four. But the thing with the Rocky movies is that, and this is something that I think takes some, some movies that I have thought about for this exercise out of the running is like, do they get there somewhat gradually? Are there yeah. like, so for me, the Rocky movies at least go in steps where you can see it getting further and further away from what Rocky was until you get to a Rocky five. That's true. But yeah, from first blood to first to Rambo in the span of one film, it just does almost a one eighty. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, This is one that we got a couple from a couple different people uh, at Jim Hall and at must love pogs. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Gremlins two versus Gremlins one. I, I'm going to disagree on this one. Really? Oh, yeah. see, I agree. I agree with it. See, to me, uh, I feel like this is, uh, it's drastic, but it's just, it's a heightening. Sure. It is definitely a heightening, but I think like the fucking Hulk, the film burns out in, in it's so meta. Yeah. You know, not to crib on our own mm-hmm. name here. Yeah. We invented it's so meta. meta. The the film burns out at one point, and then Hulk Hogan yells at the screen. <laughs> so like, hey, start the movie, brother. Okay, all right, fair. It's I, a I, fucking ridiculous movie. I okay, yes, I agree. However, I think that it is it it definitely it's like I would consider it to be like a tonal upshift, a very drastic upshift. Sure, but I think that the spirit of the film is still. Um, in this, like it's heart is sort of in the same place. Uh, and I think what I would point to is I would point to the bar scene from the first gremlins. Yeah. The movie theater scene where Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, those movies are very different, but you can see the DNA of where gremlins two goes in the first one. That's that, that would be my only contention. Uh, I could see that. Also, another suggestion uh, was Alien versus Aliens, mm-hmm. which I do think there is a tonal shift, but I think you can follow the DNA on that one. Yeah. And, and it makes a little more sense than it doesn't give you whiplash. No, I think it's it's it, there are different kinds of movies, but I don't think that um, if you loved Alien and then you walked into Aliens, you would be like, this is bullshit. Like, right. I wanted another haunted house on a spaceship movie and instead I got like an action horror movie. It's like, no, I don't think anybody was walking out of the theater, you know, disappointed saying that to their zoned out girlfriend. Um, (laughs) But I agree. They're two very different kinds of movies, but I think it's in a way that's sort of cleverly pulled off where to me, at least I interpreted the spirit of this question to be like, whether it's good or not, it's like, it's very unexpected. The, mm-hmm. the way that it went. Um, so I'm curious, Eric, wha- what do you have? Do you have any any suggestions, any that you want to throw out there? Yeah, the one that I, I was trying to 
go a little bit off the beaten path here because mm-hmm. uh you know even uh, do you have the one that i burned in my question um no i was i i hadn't had plans to discuss it so yeah let's let's throw right. it out there to the audience so in my example that i tweeted was evil dead versus evil dead 2 mm-hmm. you can go back and listen to our episodes on those uh that is a total complete departure from each other um but so I wanted to go a little bit off the beaten path as far as movies we've discussed on this podcast. Uh, so my pick was Wreck Four. Okay. So Wreck is a uh, a found footage uh, horror movie, um, obviously uh, Spanish horror series that uh, it kind of involves. It's sort of a zo- It's more of a demon infestation than a zombie infestation. But um, it, it's sort of like each each installment kind of expands on the mythology of what's happening wreck mm-hmm. wreck four so it's found footage wreck four is the one that breaks the format okay and becomes not a found footage movie like about a third of the way through it just is a standard movie mm-hmm. and is also more of a comedy not exactly that's not funny but it's more over the top and like um uh more whimsical i guess maybe is is the word i'm looking for okay uh so that was my pick for one of these where it's like but but also it doesn't it does it, yeah you know i almost talked myself out of like <laughs> oh it doesn't give you whiplash like yeah it, i appreciate the change because at this point you're four movies in mm-hmm. and you're like are of watching like the same kind of like uh structure and then one that just like completely breaks the structure gotcha is a, sort of a welcome um a welcome uh uh advancement i guess i don't know okay uh i like it yeah i've never seen it i don't think i've seen any of the wreck movies and you've talked about them before do you think they're I should? awesome i mean oh yeah i, I, I mean, really them. you should just pitch it you should sell me on doing it for the podcast yeah let's just <laughs> do it like, for the podcast there's like four or five of them right Is uh, it? Four. Four, yeah, four yeah that's enough um yeah let's uh let's see if we can find a spot for it on the old 2021 calendar all right yeah um, we'll do it okay so my next one is um is one that I think I'm I'm gonna throw this one out first. This is my first suggestion because I think it comes the closest to failing my litmus test of like, is this a natural escalation of the tone of the of the movies or is it a new tone? And for me, I think it just lands on the right side of this argument enough so that I want to talk about it. And that is uh Bride of Chucky. Which I think, oh sure, yeah, that's a good one. Which I think basically sets a new tone for the rest of the series, right? Yeah. That continues to go on now. Um, it, it's very interesting. Don Mancini, who handles pretty much all of those films, uh, in some capacity, either writing or directing, has kind of brought it back together to almost uh, merge, like what the first three movies felt like versus the latter movies. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, child's play movies, they're always a little tongue in cheek and a little funny. And I think of the first three, two seems to be the one that kind of shoots for maybe the most humor. I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen three. I, to me, it's the worst of the first three, but I could be mm-hmm. misremembering. But anyways, they're, you know, it's they're horror movies in sort of the vein of a nightmare on Elm street where, you know, it's mostly a horror movie. You have this, uh, villain who 
throws quips out there and like has his jokes and stuff and you know comments as he kills people but by and large they're not comedies right we get in bride of chucky is this completely different animal where it is a full-on black comedy uh it's it becomes pretty self-referential um it completely takes the focus away from what the original movies all were, which was like Chucky, uh, you know, stalking around some kid, essentially the mm-hmm. same kid in all three movies. So we like leave that conceit behind and it's like, it's the best kind of like nineties sort of um, like, it's a very, the soundtrack has like a lot of industrial rock on it and like Rob <laughs> Zombie and shit. And the movie, yeah, the yeah. movie sort of tries to embody that attitude and it just feels like a completely different kind of thing than the first three movies. And it works so much better for me. So this is, uh, this would be an example of one that I think was a great pivot. Um, but yeah, I don't know what is, what's, how do you feel about that, Eric? Oh, uh, I love, I love Bride of Chucky. And I love it because it takes the C- the series in a completely different direction. Yeah, uh, I think it's a great call. It is. It's very funny. Um, where you know the other movies, like as you said, I'm just mm. repeating what you said. Um, <laughs> as you said, the the there is some funny things to it, but with Bride of Chucky, it becomes like, oh no, this is they're making jokes. You right. know, like actual jokes. Uh, yeah, that's a great call. So I have one one final one here for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one that I am uh, very familiar with. Uh, I I am even in the deleted scenes <laughs> on a documentary about. I was wondering it. if it was coming. <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, Troll Two versus Troll One. Yeah. Troll One, if you're unfamiliar, is uh you know a very middling, you know even worse than middling. Yeah kids movie like fantasy movie the main character's name is literally harry potter which is pretty funny (laughs) he just in my memory of it he just finds like a a bunch of weird little trolls but they're not really trolls just like little i don't know little monsters i guess Uh in a in an apartment below him and uh, hijinks ensue julia louis dreyfus and her husband brad whatever his name is or brad hall yeah brad hall um, so then Troll 2 is a it's sequel in name only. It's an Italian picture. <laughs> an Italian director came to America to make a sequel to Troll. Didn't really know English very well. Still <laughs> insisted him and like his wife or something insisted on writing the script. <laughs> hired a bunch of no just locals in utah mm-hmm. and made one of the fucking craziest movies of all time it's fucking delightful mm-hmm. it is it is the best sort of version of a bad movie yeah where it's like it's never boring it's very funny mm-hmm. doesn't intend to be um but it's, it's like kind of charming and so strange yeah and it has nothing to do with the original <laughs> and it 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 left a lasting impact on a generation of kids who yeah. who had HBO. Yeah, because uh, it was always on HBO or Cinemax. It was yeah, insanity. Yeah, I was one of the Troll Two kids, um, just like you. Uh, yeah, that's a movie that like you get to college, especially if you're like us and you go to film school, 
And you have that moment where it's like, wait, you watched Troll 2 also? 40 yeah, times? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can watch that movie yeah. endlessly. Mm-hmm. It, it's, yeah, anyway. It's a special film, and I think it's a great, yeah, it's a great example. Um, so my other suggestion and my last one uh, is one that we've covered on the podcast. Uh, and, uh, you know, for me, I guess I'm only throwing out positives here. Uh, so I feel like I didn't do this segment justice. I probably should have had one that was good and one that sucked. But, hey, Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. I don't think it works. Um, one that I think works okay um, that we have done very early on is Brian Yesna's Return of the Living Dead 3. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. So in that... I think there's something to be said about part two as well, uh, about it fitting into this category. But yeah, Yuzna's... Yeah. I mean, they're all over the place. Part one is a dark punk comedy that Eric and I love very deeply and very deliberately chose to start this podcast with. Mm -hmm. Part two is a very broad, almost, again, you know, to, to, to bring up something we talked about today, almost childlike comedy. Um, but I think that at least it, it maintains its comedy roots, if nothing else. They're both trying to be funny. One's yeah. much better at it than, than the other. But yeah, there is kind of a bit of a shift. And I think what it really is, too, the reason I think three is a good choice here is because it's that... So it starts with one, two takes a pretty big step in a much broader, jokier direction, right? Um, Mm. So it kind of steps away from the first one. And then Return of the Living Dead 3 slams on the e-brake, whips the wheel around, and takes the series (laughs) in the complete opposite direction to just the bleakest fucking dark 90s gothic doomed romance gory sad depressing it's yeah it could not be more unlike the tone of return of the living dead part two if it tried uh and i think i think it did try and it succeeded (laughs) um yeah and it's not a perfect movie uh i think it's a decent movie and i think it's a movie worth watching um but yeah i mean to your point it's like yeah two does take a take a pretty dramatic departure from one and then three goes even further in the complete opposite direction. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That series, if nothing else other than the last two, which is crazy, the yeah. last two movies, like everything could not be further from each other. Yeah. Uh, in each individual entry. Yeah. Well, there you go, guys. That's the Metacritics. Uh, we'll, well, hopefully we'll be revisiting that segment soon. That was, that was fun. If you guys have any suggestions for movies that we missed uh, or looked over, I know there are some big ones that just... Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. That we that we just skipped over. Uh, you can write to us at KillstreakPod on Twitter. Also on Instagram. You can email us at KillstreakPod, uh, killstreakpod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Or uh, leave us a voicemail. We'll definitely play it unless it's like fucking insane. Yeah. <laughs> At killstreak.com. No, anchor.fm slash killstreakpod. Yeah. We haven't had to censor a voicemail yet, so we are a track record's still solid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so next week we're going to be talking Leatherface, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. 
It looks like I'm it's excited. only a rental, just for those it's, of you who are wondering. Yeah. Yeah. Looks like it. Looks like it. I'm excited for this one. This is one that I've like, I have fond memories of. Okay. Against all odds, but I've only seen it once. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was in my in the same time span where I watched one, two, and three. Um, I I watched this one, and I remember it being like my favorite of. All right. Not not the first one, but of the sequels. <laughs> Oh, the sequels. Okay. <laughs> I was ready for a bold take from no, Eric. No, my favorite of the Texas Chainsaw Massacres. <laughs> yeah. So uh, check out Leatherface. You can rent it on Amazon, Google. Uh, you know, uh, you go back in time and get it at a video store when life was better. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, come back next week. Uh, and yeah, please uh, leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we'd much appreciate it. And as always, lick my plate, dog dick. <laughs>